0: Hello and welcome to the Bedroom Studios podcast, the podcast where we talk about what goes on behind the scenes in a musician's world and bridge the industry gap by bringing their stories, expertise, and advice to early career artists. Subscribe to join us for a fun chat about life as a creative person, tips and tricks for pursuing an artistic career, navigating the music industry, and more. I am your host, Emma, and today I will be interviewing Chris Weins. Christopher Weens is an audio engineer and drummer based out of the Greater Toronto Area. His work includes recording, mixing, mastering, and live sound for music, as well as recording and editing audiobooks for Penguin Random House Canada. Musically he has performed regularly in jazz ensembles, rock bands, as well as musical theatre productions around the GTA. From an early age, he took interest in music and recording, playing with his dad's cassette machines, as well as learning piano and drums. Eventually, he began performing weekly in the church his family attended, and began taking music seriously while in an arts program in high school. This led him to Humber College's Bachelor of Music program, where he began studying with Larnell Lewis, Mark Kelso, and Peter Cook, among others, and was given the opportunity to perform with Christian McBride and Emily Claire Barlow. While at Humber College, Christopher was also introduced to thinking about recording in a more serious way. Fascinated by recorded sound's unique ability to recreate or heighten reality, he started to explore it more and soon began a master's in music technology at the University of Toronto, studying with Jeff Wolfert, Elliot Britton, Greg Newsom, and Catherine Moore. Now, having finished this master's program, Christopher continues working in the GTA as a freelance audio engineer and drummer, and has also released his first independent project entitled Ensemble None. You can find it on Bandcamp and other streaming services. I hope you enjoy episode eight of the Bedroom Studios podcast. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Um, glad to glad to be here. Yeah. <laughs> I have first first time podcast uh, guest so I'm I have no idea what I'm doing
0: It's nothing <laughs> either <laughs> that's enough. that's what this is for So the first question I ask everyone is uh, to share more about your musical journey and um, how it started and how it led you to where you are today
1: yeah um I guess uh, it started. I was definitely very, very young. I don't really know what age it would have been. Maybe, like, two or three or something. Um, uh, the, uh, my parents, uh, both played music in a church when I was growing up. Um, and I remember they showed me a movie or something. I don't know whose idea it was to pull out pots and pans and stuff, but either way, there's photos of me with, like, a little drum kit and, like, diapers and stuff. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess that's where it started. Um, From there, I mean, I started piano in elementary school and so on. Started drums, like, actually at some point, (laughs) rather than just pots and pans when I was, like, two. Um, But yeah, uh, started drums, went to an arts high school in Mississauga. Um, There's so many people that I actually still know now and run around, like, run run into in town in... uh, at U of T at various gigs um that I work with still that I went to high school with so that's kind of a it's a really interesting thing um even running into people that I'm just like oh I didn't know you went to that school and then (laughs) yeah um one was opening for bagels (laughs) at one show it was very funny very funny moment um but yeah um from there um I started sort of taking it seriously there there was one teacher who uh was definitely more influential and sort of like, um, he taught actually the jazz education program at U of T at the same time as teaching at a high school. So he was friends with all the jazz faculty and he'd bring um, them in to, uh, like do concerts for us at, in high school. So I remember watching, uh, somebody who used to be on the jazz faculty here, David Braid, um, play in a quartet with Kelly Jefferson, um, Joel Haynes, I don't remember who the bass player was Mark, I think Mark Rogerson or something, but either way that I remember that sort of being a pivotal moment, but it was a you know, sort of still at the point where I was like just hanging out with friends and making friends at that school and like gaining comfort and stuff um, but through that um, like over the years of doing that I just sort of got more and more interested in it, um, definitely was scared to like like buckle down and say, yeah, I'm doing this. I remember at one point, um, uh, one of my music teachers, like several of my music teachers had asked me, like, are you thinking of this? Um, and, uh, I had a conversation with one being like, oh yeah, I, I feel like I want to do it. And then I decide that I do it. And then I get scared and run away and decide I don't want to do it anymore. And then I'm playing drums again. And then I'm like, no, I just want to do it. (laughs) It's (laughs) just sort of like, I don't know, some type of, like, self-sabotage of, like, I'm too scared to do this for real Mm. type thing. But anyway, (laughs) Um, yeah, from there I went to Humber for uh, jazz drums, Um, studied there for four years with Larnell Lewis from Snarky Puppy and um, some other people. Yeah, it was, like, he's... (laughs) How is that? He's the nicest person ever. Um, It was kind of funny, too. Um, Some of my takeaways are almost more personal. Like, there's one weird moment where he was like, you're tall, you need to know this. Here's, like, go sign up for this newsletter in your email so you get (laughs) discounts on clothes, because it's hard to find clothes for tall people. (laughs) (laughs) That was just, just like, yeah, I did not expect that. Um,
0: Do you find any good discounts? I mean, I... (sighs)
1: I don't think it's any more than, like, it was just average kind of stuff, but he was really excited about it, and I was just like, I don't, okay, sure, I'll do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so, so part of that, I, um, in the, like, the final year of that program, we get to do a recording project, and we spend two years in, uh, like, a recording masterclass. A lot of it is more, like, learning, like, the old, uh, like, old, style of producing or whatever that like term was at the time so more like something like George Martin with the Beatles or like someone who would do help with arrangements or give advice on takes rather than actual um rather than like current day producing what that would be called um so there was that kind of stuff and then we left there with an EP that we got to make of our own um so it was really cool being in the studio there um and along with music, I've sort of had, like, I've always had the side thing of knowing about technology stuff, because my dad taught a little bit of recording at a high school in, yeah, in Toronto, which is a little bit, uh, like, uncommon, like, you don't get a lot of, like, sound recording things in a high school, Mm -hmm. Um, so I was sort of aware of it, and I remember being young, really liking cassette tapes and stuff. Um, just because it was like the sound was physical and you could fast forward or rewind it and hear how that changed things Um, like an immediate response Um, yeah there's just something about that I liked Um, and so when I was at Humber it was sort of getting ready to leave Um, I had some wrist injury things and when I uh, graduated from there I had to take quite a bit of time off drumming Um, so that sort of ended up giving me a lot of free time um so one of the things that I sort of picked up at the time was just like oh yeah I could just learn how to mix a little bit better so that maybe I can record myself in my basement um record uh, a few people that have that connection to the community and um of musicians and um yeah that I know still so um the uh that ended up um sort of taking off quite a bit uh i was really really enjoying myself and um so i just kind of kept doing it and then at one point it was very funny because um uh i decided that i wanted to look into master's programs i knew there was one at mcgill that's kind of very cutthroat um And so I was a little intimidated by that, also didn't really want to leave Toronto because like everybody I know, I've lived my whole life in the GTA, um, I I don't think I felt ready for something like that, um, but, uh, and the other thing was is that I do occasionally composing stuff, not too much, um. That's not completely true. I mean, I have, like, 200 mm-hmm. songs on, like, a stock music account online, like, <laughs> where I get, like, just five a it's Just a
0: little bit. Just a little bit.
1: I mean, to be fair, I don't do much now. So, yeah. But at the time, I was doing a lot of that, and that sort of led me to looking at the music tech at U of T. I had heard of it before, but I didn't really know much about it. Um, and then so when I saw that it was sort of, like, You could do a little bit of both. There was a mixture of, like, just straight-up recording. There was a mixture of that in composition and technology. Um, Yeah, I just... um, I decided that it was something I was interested in and probably wanted to do. Then maybe, like, a very short time after. um, You know Mason? Yes. Yes. So I've known him since 2001. (laughs) Yeah, I went to elementary school. (laughs) with him oh my god yeah that's yeah crazy. yeah i i um i got a message from him he's like hey i'm doing a master's program want to go to do this i'm like and he sends me the link to that one and i'm like you're kidding me <laughs> like i was already looking at doing this
0: like no i'm doing a master's program do yeah. you want to come teach yeah yeah.
1: Up? <laughs> yeah exactly so he was so he um uh he actually signed up, and I was sort of in a space where I'm like, "You know what my portfolio's not that strong i I want to take some time with my health stuff a little bit more, so I was like no i'll I'll do next year or something like that um and then yeah, uh yeah, you're right, you're
0: did right you next, did you do it the next year Yes, or- yes <laughs> 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 I did it
1: the next year <laughs> um, I was waiting for um that year ended up being the year that COVID hit much more or like the, the, um, so while Mason was uh, finishing the program, um, or sorry, actually, no, the year above him was finishing the program. That's when COVID really hit. Mm -hmm. Um, that's when it started and every, uh, everybody had their classes shut down and access kind of taken. Um, but I had actually been in, uh, because of Mason, I had been able to go to the UFT studio once there before. I I had met um, some of the people like Jeff and Elliot at um, uh, very very briefly, like five seconds um, uh, at uh, Jeff's studio at a Christmas party. Um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was good. But um, yeah, getting back to that that year kind of started to be a bit of an issue because of the COVID stuff so when I started um uh things were still sort of half online half in person Mm -hmm. uh really depending on the thing um which in some ways kind of benefited me to be honest I was waitlisted for the program so it's so this sort of thing of like if a couple people didn't drop out (laughs) and like give me the space because of COVID then maybe I just wouldn't have done it (laughs) um which like I'm thankful I did so I'm um, you know thanks for
0: He's thanks out.
1: thanks COVID <laughs> um, yeah Just
0: like that. well that too so
1: <laughs> yeah um, yeah so I the other thing that was really great in that aspect was that um, at least in some respects uh, was that I got to spend a lot of time alone in the studio mm-hmm. and I'm kind of like. At least my psychology and my background at the moment is very much of, like, study way too much first before doing something Mm -hmm. and then start doing something later. So it did kind of give me, like, a whole year just to learn, um, like, how to use the studio with nobody in it. Mm. Um, So that by the time that I needed to bring bring a band in, I I felt confident and knew what I was doing um, so that I could have the bandwidth to learn how to do that with people in the room which is like uh, a whole
0: bandwidth. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh.
1: <laughs> I didn't even think that <laughs> yeah the um cause it's definitely sort of a thing that I've found with um learning any new skill it's like yeah you can do yeah, what they say in jazz school with practice room. it's like yeah you sounded great in the practice room you didn't sound great on a performance or something like that um just from like yeah um it's just sort of how the brain works. You add an extra layer of pressure and it changes things. Mm Um, yeah. So where was I? That was how I started there. Um, then, uh, in second year, I did have to take quite a bit of time off. Um, I had a rather large family emergency, Mm -hmm. um, that I kept (laughs) delaying leaving. Um, and I remember having one other friend in the program, kind of looking at me, going, "Like, what are you doing? You need to, you need to go, um, get out of here, um, take care of your family." Um, so eventually, something happens, um, big enough that really kicked, uh, kicked me into gear and was like, "Yep, yeah, I can't ignore this anymore." Mm-hmm. Um, so I left for a while. Um, When things were starting to settle I ended up getting a notification on my phone saying that Penguin Random House needed an intern for audiobooks, like, to do the recordings. So, not the speaking, because everybody keeps saying, oh, you speak for audiobooks? Like, no. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) I just do the, the... I record the people who speak, um, and edit that. Um so I, I, fe- I saw that and I thought it, it was an interesting notification to see because at this at one point I was also like am I really ready can I let go of the family situation enough to feel like I can do this um, am I uh, uh, yeah basically just am I ready to, to do mm-hmm. something like that and walk away from the family stuff and then there's the school stuff. What do I do with that? How is it going to work? And I looked at it and it was, it was like, I've had some strange coincidences in the last couple of years. Um, uh, and that was definitely the first one that I really noticed because that one was, um, no, maybe second, uh, because it was starting right after my mom's treatment finished. And then it finished right before I had to go back to school oh, wow. so it was like the timeline of the contract was like just fits in perfectly and then not only that I think the the reason one of the reasons that it popped up of saying am I ready to do that is because I was sort of like not uh, part of me didn't want the job to be honest because I'm like oh man it's not music it's not the perfect job or something like that mm. sometimes like at least for me part of Learning who I am and growing up has been like, oh yeah, sometimes you have to take the stepping stones to, you can't s- skip steps.
0: And it's hard to jump into something that you haven't done before and not knowing what it's going to be like, mm-hmm. but then com- you have to commit to it. Mm-hmm.
1: For sure. And that was definitely something that it was like, okay, I have to be all in on this and like see what I can get out of it. And to be honest, the pros outweighed the cons and I sort of looked at it going either I could um, uh, this is, sorry this is a weird backtrack for a moment or, so I was working at a bookstore at the time so I was I, um, frankly I also felt like I was a bit of a shoe-in for it because I'm like okay I, I'm, I've been working at a bookstore for three years, I know all the stuff like, like I, I know how things work in yes. that industry and then I'm doing audio at the same time like, yeah, I could do yeah. this. <laughs> it was the shoe and it, just, it was the scary feeling of like, man, what if I actually get this and then I have to do it? Um, yeah. But then the other thing of then I'm going to be away from music for too long. How is that going to feel? Um, and there were definitely hard parts with that. Times where it was like weeks that I couldn't do it or something. Um, that when it was over and I could do that again it was like a breath of fresh air that I was like Mm -hmm. I'm glad I could do some music again Uh, but at the same time I'd never trade that stuff for anything Mm -hmm. because like the the experience I got through that and the learning the tools that I use every day like honestly it made me way better at what I do musically Mm -hmm. doing that Um, so yeah I'm super glad that happened Um, yeah
0: did you have any cool or surprising experiences recording audiobooks? Mm.
1: It's, <laughs> it's way more intense than people think. So, and that's because of the company. I will say, like, hats off to them because they do their, they appreciate, like, what they do. Or, like, a lot of audiobooks you'll listen and they don't really divide things very well and it's, um, it's hard to explain exactly. I had listened to some uh, some companies' uh, products and it just felt it wasn't very divided. Um, sort of the chapters, you blend one into another um, a little bit. So it's nice to have a moment where you stop and take a breather and have that happen. And I know sometimes companies have a lot of different ways of recording than they do at, um, at Penguin. Um, so the way that they do it at Penguin is they actually sort of do... Very old school radio records, um, which they call just roll record. Um, So you just hit play, and it just keeps rolling, and you're going through the whole time. But the engineer's just not sitting back and doing nothing. We have a manuscript in front of us of the entire book, uh, writing in every notation of like when they've made a mistake, if there's been a noise, um, any retakes that we have to do, and you're reading along so it's really like you're re- reading the book at the same time and then focusing on like four other things at the same time. Um, cause your ears still have to be open for when they make a noise. Like, mm-hmm. was that a noise that, um, like that we should be concerned about or something like that? Um, yeah, something like that. Um, there's definitely some very interesting stories that I, I got from that and really interesting people that I met. Um, just, I mean, a lot of people from, like, this Canadian theater scene, um, just actors and stuff, which was really cool. Um, some of them, which, like, like to see them doing their craft up close to was pretty amazing. Um, there was one, Anne-Marie MacDonald, who's a Canadian um, actor, writer, does a lot of theater work. Um, she's an author, and she was doing her own audiobook, and she was doing, like, eight-hour days where she would do, like, s- full screams. Oh
0: my goodness.
1: Yeah. Like, full screams in the studio, and I would be like, this was the first big one that I did, so I was just kind of shy, and I'm like, uh, uh, sorry, can you do that again? <laughs> and then she does it again, and I adjust the levels so it doesn't, like, blow out the microphone. Um, and it just, like, <laughs> identical. It's like the matching that they have, the way they can just match it. It was, yeah, it was really something. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, for anybody who knows Rick Mercer I had a recording session last week where I was recording for um, I've been recording for a book recently and um, in the middle of the recording session the door opens and Rick Mercer was just standing there saying I'm in the wrong room <laughs> and he just leaves <laughs> So I'm like, okay. (laughs) Um, So that was weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had known that he was coming in and been like, man, I read his book when I was like 12. I have a copy of it somewhere. So, um, but yeah. Um, And you also, you do get to hear, I'm not saying this about Rick Mercer to make it clear, (laughs) but you do get to hear about the negative side of some people that you definitely know about in uh, Canadian Culture, which is which can be interesting.
0: You get all of the hot tea.
1: Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah, some that's like more relevant to music than you might think sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, um,
0: it's cool that you get to read read in quotations mm-hmm. so many books.
1: Yeah, it is. It is
0: kind of get paid for. It.
1: Yeah, that is true. Getting paid to read that's pretty nice, <laughs> <laughs> and to listen to people read. <laughs> right. Like, that's the other part of it, too. So, it's, it's nice. I also felt like, in some ways, I was being paid to, on the job, get better at, like, a skill that I was not great at.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was the kind of thing where... Uh, I mentioned before stock music stuff. And the way that I sort of saw that was like, oh, I could maybe um, write some stock music in a style that I'm trying to learn how to write or produce and then use that as practice. Um, but to add the incentive of maybe I'll make five bucks of coffee money off of this. Mm -hmm. And like, so it's not, so there's like some extra incentive to just to doing that work because sitting down and doing that work can be hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, so one of the things that I avoided like so much in, um, uh, like learning audio engineering was editing. Um, Like, I definitely came from a background that was very, like, jazz and, like, um, and when I say that, I mean the, like, uh, you know, music school has elitism everywhere, and so there's definitely that in jazz, too, where they're like, oh, yeah, we don't need a click, we we don't, uh, we don't need editing or quantizing or anything like that, so I kind of avoided it for a while, thinking, oh, maybe I'll just record jazz musicians and, and just do that, um but frankly like that's not the only music I like so why would I want to limit myself like that um but then again editing is still tough to learn yeah. um oh yeah. yeah yeah so having the chance to do that on the job of being paid while really like honing that skill was like yeah amazing mm-hmm. um I don't I was gonna say something I don't remember oh,
0: okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can have a lot of patience in certain situations, but my impatience when editing music I find sometimes inhibits me because I don't research mm. more efficient ways of doing things.
1: Mm. Okay.
0: Um, and because so I just don't know that it exists, mm, yeah. and I'll just take like I'll spend a really long time doing like um. For quantizing, I didn't know that was something you can do automatically, and mm. so I would go in and chop everything up and shift it mm-hmm. to where it needed to be, and that was mm-hmm. that was fine. Yeah. But then when I realized that you could just click, click mm-hmm. Control Q, yeah, yeah, it just it, it it was great. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, exactly, no, honestly, that's that's something that early on I think I would not have had the patience to do so honestly kudos to you for doing that because that's the thing is like that's you know it shows that you have the drive to, to go and do that much work Even like you could go and look up different ways but you don't think to do that that's fine because you know that there is a way to do it the way that you know is going to take a lot of effort and you're good, willing to do the effort so you know that's good
0: thanks appreciate
1: it Yeah, no worries the um Yeah, that's the thing with a lot of things like that. So I think having a musical family and some things coming easier than others, I was a little bit impatient. So, yeah. A little bit impatient, and just going like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this, whatever. Um, Which is, like, an interesting thing (laughs) to admit. Uh, It's like, yeah, my ego's bigger than I think it is. (laughs) But, yeah. Um, mm -hmm.
0: You released is EP album mm-hmm. recently and I listened to it last night actually it was very good it was yeah, it was thanks. nice it was awesome um,
1: <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely very out there and very often jarred so don't uh, everybody listening don't be fooled by saying nice some of <laughs> it some of it well, there's I, moments but then some of it can be very loud and noisy <laughs> so.
0: I just I don't know I felt like even even in those parts there was this, like an arc okay um, yeah. where I, when it went more out there, it was still, like, you could hear pieces of the parts that were more structured. Yeah. And I like that a lot. Thanks. Yeah. Um, So, can you tell us more about the name of your album?
1: Right. That's a question I have gotten once or twice before, that I've definitely avoided talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A little while ago, I don't quite remember when Uh, maybe I was in first year here at U of T Um, I've really liked ambient and that side of analog electronic type music for a long time Um, sort of even just like extended techniques maybe you'd call it with bands like Radiohead or different things Um, uh, like in high school I did a lot of classical percussion too and so, as a lot of people at classical school knows, percussionists like weird things. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you I, I do
0: something when you have to count all those. Rest yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like there's either that, or you could play the piece that has way more. And then most of those tend to be way newer and have so many, um, so many interesting like electronic elements to it. And some of it. You know, it sounds very musical, and so an event does not. <laughs> so, <laughs> as as with everything, there's good and bad. Um, but yeah, uh, I decided that I sort of wanted to go under a moniker for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't know. I didn't feel comfortable having my name on a thing, or maybe part of it as well was having the jazz background and having technically done an EP on that before being like, oh yeah, I don't want to call it I don't want to have a name of a group and then have like 20 different bands because that's what happens in jazz all the time Mm -hmm. Um, somebody makes an album and then they have a quartet then they have a trio, then they have a quintet then they have a this and a that Um, I just wanted to be able to do everything under one name Um, but I didn't feel entirely comfortable with it just being my name um, so I ended up going with a name, none, um, which for my audio production work, I use nowhere Sound as the name of it. Um, and those kind of names were both connected because they showed up to me like in my brain, um, in very, very close to each other around the similar time. Um, and I was trying to debate which one to use for what for a little bit. Um, but the reason that that kind of interested me, one was like, it's, there's so many reasons I could label onto it, (laughs) to be honest. Um, for the studio thing of saying nowhere sound, it's like somebody might say, oh, you have a studio. Where is it? I'm like, nowhere. (laughs) It is. My studio is nowhere. It does not exist. Um, and it's sort of true because it's, like, my parents' basement. Some some people, mm-hmm. like, don't want to record in somebody's parents' basement. So, you know what? I don't have a studio. We can go somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's uh, that's the type of thing that a lot of people do um, in studio work. They don't have their own studio, so they go rent a facility. Mm-hmm. So, and that gives you flexibility in various ways. Um, so there's that reason for the name of it. There's sort of the... Um, uh some more philosophical things behind that and i had definitely gone through a lot of mental health things and got really interested into various philosophies and uh even buddhism and stuff like that to an extent um and just i like exploring those philosophical questions of what is the self Mm -hmm. and everything and it brought up some points uh when I was trying to decide what this project was um, and I decided that yeah what I'm sort of looking for is something that I could have almost anything like be released within I could go release a jazz thing I could go release uh, a classical thing if I ever get so <laughs> less scared of doing that um, <laughs> yeah or um, or just like something that's just electronics or whatever um, I was really inspired by... There's a musician, Floating Points, um, who uh, does a similar thing, um, where he releases a lot of electronic stuff with orchestra, sometimes sometimes without orchestra, and it mm-hmm. bends genres and things. So it's sort of an empty vessel. Yeah. It's nothing. Um, and in some ways, I sort of connected that to uh, some philosophies of the self and being like, yeah, yeah, um, of there is self, or he can edit around this, but <laughs> the um, philosophy of there being no self or there being a definitive self, that there is definitely uh, one self that is unchanging, or there is no self because life has changed mm-hmm. and personalities change all the time um, and those kinds of questions are ones that I just really like and then interested in and kind of inspire me and do end up, I guess, working their way into musical ideas sometimes. But, you know, uh, expressing those ideas through music is interesting because it's not always gonna, uh, it's not a one-to-one, uh, thing. What you, what you mean by something is not good, is definitely not going to get picked up. Um, uh, Unless they're insanely intuitive, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say, I in especially in the first track of your of your EP, the electronic parts of it, it it sounded like it could be replaced with an orchestra, just in terms mm. of how it was arranged.
1: Yeah, the that's sort of something that really like a lot of the electronic stuff that I like is very inspired by classical type stuff mm-hmm. um, like when I was in high school like I said I, I did a lot of percussion like classical percussion um, so I spent a lot of time listening to like Steve Reich and minimalist music um, and then uh, some of the stuff that I listened to as well was just a lot more lush I guess you could use the word um, like definitely a lot more recently I uh, found um, music by like John Luther Adams and that type of. Um, some people could say spectralism or different things like that, but it's just, yeah, I I love those textures um, and the sort of blurriness in in music. Sometimes that's like, yeah, cool, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And when you were recording that project, did you? Do the electronics and the live instruments separately?
1: So in that one, no. That's that's another holdover from jazz that I really was a t- kind of defining thing in that project because it was it was part of um, my final project submission for for the master's program. Um, but the way that I really wanted to do it was I really wanted to interact live mm-hmm. with everything because. I I love kind of music that is definitely very free in nature and doesn't have it's an interesting thing to say it doesn't have constraints because technically everybody has constraints all the time in what they're going to play but um, I find that it's just like a nice platform of being able to play together as people and really listen a lot more and not just play whatever is on the page or something because you really have to focus to make something sound good or worthwhile or however an individual defines those things um you really have to focus and pay attention is what i find Mm um uh and but yeah there's tons of different ways to do it um so to I make very simple answers, very long, a lot of times. <laughs> so this is, this
0: is the format for yeah, that. Yeah.
1: The, um, uh, so yeah, I basically just feel... Yeah, essentially I just like um, having the live interaction uh, between musicians. And I wanted the electronics to be able to be... Um, both manipulating the sound of the music, uh, the musicians that were playing live um, as, as well as to be able to sort of introduce its own elements um, which is easier said than done um, there's definitely ways that I look at it and go that was a good stepping stone, um, there's definitely ways to improve on it um, mm-hmm. and find where those are but that's you know one idea always leads to another so that's kind of the magical thing about being a life, I guess. Just there's always a next step to take.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. So was someone? Did you have someone operating the electronics like an instrument?
1: So that was me during that. Um,
0: so who was playing the drums?
1: Oh, that's a uh, Robert Diak. He's oh. he graduated at the same time as me, and uh, he did his master's in jazz. Um, another funny connection that I'll mention off recording to to um to uh books and publishing which is not expected um but yeah uh just
0: assume that you were playing drums on that recording so like my interpretation of that is just flipped now
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was it's it's been interesting because um i've been a little bit more until recently a little bit more intimidating playing intimidated playing that style on drums but at the same time I knew that I don't have enough limbs to play drums and <laughs> electronics at the same time and I really wanted to do the electronics so um, I reached out to some friends and uh, and eventually um, I uh, wound up contacting Robert which um, I had actually met him at a friend's virtual birthday party or like during COVID oh gosh, as well a
0: virtual birthday party yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah um, so yeah, that was, that was definitely a very cool, um, yeah, it was definitely very cool to have him on the project. Um, and uh, most of the other musicians I had met at Humber or through people at Humber or technically one person I met in high school, well, two, everybody <laughs> knows everybody. It's, you know, it's a small city, even with how large it can be. <laughs> Yeah.
0: It's crazy how even just in this past year I've kind of realized how much of a community there is like A music community in Toronto mm-hmm. It's nice Yeah Yeah.
1: It's definitely a very nice place to be for that um, It's small but also not too small Yeah It's just right
0: Yeah You know that feeling where it's like you're on recording mm-hmm. And then you're afraid to move yeah. And then your air gets like trapped in your. Yes,
1: yeah. <laughs> yes Side note <laughs> That's actually a great thing in the within the podcast yeah. about how I was when I started learning mixing because I was so scared of it because um, like that's often called red light syndrome mm-hmm. and stuff like that um, where like you know you press record and then you're scared to do yeah. anything or like and it definitely yeah it, it takes it it really affects people mm-hmm. um, and so I had that but not recording but with mixing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I definitely had it in recording too playing drums but early on I felt like every mix move that I was making was final I'm like ah I have to do it perfect and I have to. I can only do it once and that's it um, but uh, in some ways I think that's also another thing that I like about jazz where it's like you can't really go back and change it um, uh, whatever happens happens and that's the way it is, whether it was good or bad, <laughs> that's the way it is. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I sort of had to find ways of find ways around that. and one of the things was reminding myself in high school when I did live sound actually there um, for we had we had tons of ensembles and we had a jazz choir that would have a sound person come in every week and do the sound in the room for them Um, so I was the person who was doing that for a couple years and would just set up a mix Um, and you'd have to do it very quickly and you kind of just had to trust your ear and if you needed to change it you just changed it Um, and in that way at first maybe there was some pressure but after times of practicing it it just got a lot easier so when I was learning to mix later it was a lot of just reminding myself or imagining that I was just doing live sound and just doing Mm. that thing quickly um and remembering what worked and what didn't um in terms of in a bit more of an esoteric way of like how how it there's there's definitely a feel when you get to the right volume level it's like it almost feels like something in my ear Mm. physically which is like that's right I have no other way of explaining it (laughs) Mm.
0: Do you ever get that, because when you were saying that, it made me think of when I'm listening to music in my headphones, where, I don't know if this is just me, but there'll be the different volume levels, and there will be literally one click lower, and it's too quiet, and then Mm -hmm. you go up the next click, and it's, like, in your ears, Mm -hmm. and sometimes I wish that there was a halfway point between Mm -hmm. those two, but... There is like a clear difference between just those two yeah. little clicks. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: No, that's I, I, um, I definitely no. I definitely find that um, there's some people out there who um, there's some people out there who will say, "Oh, it, at the end of the day, this small, tiny move won't make much of a difference." But when you're really paying attention, like that's yeah, that's a mark of somebody like. When I know that somebody is really really paying attention is like they're like unwilling to pay that much attention because I remember um yeah, back in high school going like, "Oh yeah, I could do this tiny little change here, that tiny little change there, but even on the TV or something of like of that oh man, I, I want it halfway between this, yeah. or then what I'd find in a mixer, like because there's more than just halfway in between there's like, oh man, I want halfway in between, no, that's not quite right. Maybe I'll do 60, like 60% this way. It's like, okay, that's better, but it could be better. Maybe 61% this (laughs) way. Like it gets, it gets into the weeds a lot. So I understand, uh, I understand some people's sentiment of just sort of like do it and move on. And you know, that's definitely a thing to not put too much pressure on yourself. But at the same time, like there's people out there who can really, really, listen and know the things that change Um, uh, whether it's an mp3 or a wave file and all of that um, I definitely believe people can hear that or train themselves to hear it Mm -hmm. I was working on a project um, technically while I was away from school um, but sort of when I had to start uh, was about to come back mixing something for someone and she said um she was giving me mixed notes. And there was this one moment in it uh, where I had made an adjustment on one of the instruments. Um, uh, whether, like, I remember that I had moved it a certain way, but um, at the end of the day, I moved something half a dB, and their note to me was you changed this half a dB at this moment. Oh
0: my gosh. And
1: I was just like, holy crap. <laughs> like that's that's the kind of thing where it's like you know a lot of people say in jazz especially be the worst musician in the room and always be learning or something because or it's just you know it's just another way of saying be challenged in what you do mm-hmm. um and that was definitely a moment where i'm like damn okay this i've 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 met my match and <laughs> as some people could say <laughs> as some people could say but um in terms of like in it in a competitive way of saying that and for some people would say that but really like oh this is somebody who could really help me improve as a mix engineer and they're not necessarily a person who would do mix engineering themselves but they listen that intently Mm -hmm. um there's definitely a lot of what i find a lot in musicians who become mix engineers later they kind of second guess themselves and I've done it tons as well but it really is sort of like remember that the time and experience you've had sitting in a band in an ensemble and whatever it is that you do and those feelings and having those judgment calls because they're the same judgment calls at the end of the day um, I remember listening I, I listened to a bit of the thing with Steph so far
0: yeah. and
1: I remember talking about um, there was the, the mix that he did on his most recent EP and he's a person that I find puts so much effort into something like that that's it's just like that really just goes to show you like at the end of the day somebody who hasn't been doing mixing or something for that long as he said in the podcast like at the end of the day it's still just your ear Mm -hmm. yeah so just trust it as much as you can and it may take a lot of time to find the tool that fits with that (laughs) which is definitely something that like i have i still have eureka moments um frequently going like oh this is what that tool like i know what the tool is i know what a multiband compressor does but i don't know why to use it at all oh yeah and then it's like and then it just hit me and it made sense <laughs> so yeah
0: I've definitely had to go through that self-doubt process when working with producers because there there will be times where I'm like okay, like I just want this one instrument like mm-hmm. at one dv high or one yeah. dv lower yeah and it's it's such like it's a hard thing to do because like I know that this person knows more than me Mm -hmm. and so like it's a balance of expressing what you want but also trusting them yeah
1: yeah yeah Yeah. trusting yeah that's the thing is collaboration can be tough
0: yeah (laughs)
1: collaboration can be so tough and it's yeah definitely something that I'm thinking about more lately well I've always sort of thought of it in some you have to in some capacity But, um, especially when doing mixing and stuff and, like, giving the, like, artist what they're looking for in the mix and what they want to sound like. And sometimes that does mean that, like, you have to kind of be firm with communication and be like, hey, um, I'd really like if somebody had, like, a a reference beforehand, um, because I've definitely been in the situation, um, what well, would say with who, where we <laughs> finished a project and they said, This is great, but I really wanted it to sound like this. And then, and um, I wasn't the one, I agreed with this person, uh, but I wasn't the one on the team who, who came up to say this at first, I think. Um, was like, That's great, but maybe you should have told this before recording it because now we're kind of stuck with the sounds we have (laughs) like you can do you can do a lot in post-production but you also have to put so much effort into that um so I I really like to that's it's not the only reason I like to put um a lot of effort into pre-production and planning and thinking about that um it's just sort of like there's those certain tools that sound certain ways that i really enjoy um one of my favorite engineers um or who I'm at least most inspired by not always inspired by his mixes <laughs> which is completely fine he's dead it's fine <laughs> um is Al Schmidt, who um he never uses EQ on anything um and that's just because he spent so He's spent so long recording that he knows how to get what he wants without using it. You know, he has technical issues that he doesn't like it for certain reasons, and that's fine, aesthetically. Um, at the end of the day, you can't say that his mixes are bad. Like, they're super good. That's the other interesting thing with, um, with audio. It's always, like, what you want at the end of the day. Yeah. There was this course I took at Humber called Aesthetics of Recorded Sound, and it's basically all theory about recording. It wasn't even, like, how to record or anything yet. It was purely, like, at the end of the recording, what do you want it to sound like? Hmm. Um, And they would talk about, like, a spectrum of realism to surrealism, of, like, do you want it to be an exact replica of what happened in the room, or do you want it to be so absurd and so weird that there's no physical... (coughs) This is the only... (laughs) Someone's really copied the video. Yeah,
0: poor guy.
1: Yeah. The... um, But yeah, do you want it to be so strange and absurd that it sort of, like, technically defies reality? Like, there's no way that that would be possible. And I love thinking about that and moving in between those. I find music really inspiring that, like, melts between that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's uh, a long, weird way of saying it sounds cool when they put drums through a megaphone <laughs> rather than to make it sound like it's in a concert hall.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Or <laughs> um, when we put the microphone in the tuna can.
1: <laughs> yes! Exactly. Exactly. The, um, yeah. I used that one in a Tim Hortons cup in front of a bass drum with Zach on something, and that was that was very fun. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah?
1: <laughs> there was an interesting one that I did with him at my house um, with, uh, Mickey and Pratap, that um, we recorded the piano that's in my uh, the main level of my house um, through um, to get the cable down to the basement. We used an Ethernet cable, and Zach just got so excited and made an Ethernet to XLR adapter. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> that's so, amazing. I love
1: it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, like honestly.
0: So how how did it?
1: How did it sound? So, the thing is, there's, with, one of the other fascinating things to me about, like, um, electronics and just gear, is that sometimes it makes it, sometimes it doesn't sound right. Sometimes it just doesn't sound (laughs) right at all. And so, like, theoretically, like, you can make it sound perfect, but the way, I don't know, it could have entirely been, like, the mic cable that we used, because there were just old cables sitting in my dad's basement. Um, but it was the way it was connected, we were getting radio interference on um through that onto the piano track. but then, like some things you wanna sound like that sometimes like the the song that we were doing sounded really, really good in my opinion, with that type of production style um and I remember Zach did some stuff on Mickey's vocals as well that was like distorting some things. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was cool. Yeah. It was a good time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've never been one to experiment with like actual like, equipment and mm-hmm. hardware before, but it's, it's very cool to hear about these things. hmm
1: It's, I, I really love, um, like getting my hands on something and being able to like really change the sound of something in that way Mm -hmm. um uh, it's something that's fun and a little bit different than just sitting in front of the computer oh yeah
0: Yeah. i definitely have to get over my my fears and (laughs) and i was the kind of person where it's like it took me a while Mm -hmm. to get into music production and like start using a DAW Mm -hmm. because when i would get the the pop-up of like, do you want this to make changes to your computer? I oh, didn't yeah. really know what that meant. So I'm like, oh, no, yeah. I don't want you to. I don't want you to make changes to your computer. And then it's just gonna yeah,
1: work. yeah. That's the thing is that what yeah. One thing that Japrid says is it's sort of like that learning period of what is actually gonna break, and you find out. In his case, what he says is you find out that so few things actually break <laughs> that you gain some confidence in having (laughs) some, like, in taking risk. Um, Which I definitely do appreciate that sentiment. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes that's the right thing to do. Sometimes it's not. You just gotta know when is when.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think once you have some sort of basic foundational knowledge of how things work, everything kind of just gets a bit easier.
1: Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Never skip the basics. I do that historically I have done that way too often with many (laughs) things in my life so lesson I'm learning
0: the only topic I have left other than my last two questions is um, the mental physical health right yeah Yeah.
1: Um, hmm where to start (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh my gosh yeah yeah Um, so during my actually even during high school at the end of high school I had a lot of wrist issues mm-hmm. that were popping up of like um, tendonitis and carpal tunnel and things like that um, you know standard stuff for the most part um, that definitely got a little bit more confusing as time went on I ended up getting a wrist sprain due to some stuff uh, I won't go into that too much but um, essentially, like, that ended up causing some, like, nerve issues in some of the muscles in that area. Um, and, I, and I was in and out of physiotherapists for, like, years. Um, I was very good at knowing if a physiotherapist was good within, like, yeah. the first 20 minutes of meeting them. Um, and just being like, yep, yeah, they know what they're doing. No, they don't know what they're doing because um, I've seen a lot of them.
0: Yeah, we um, can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there, are a lot that just don't know what they're doing. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that's fair. It's like they need time to train and stuff, but you know, that's it's still
0: you gotta find what's right for you. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, so the uh, I I had to do that a lot, and that definitely impacted my mental health to a huge extent um the the timing of it too to be honest was also around a lot of family events um it's like 10 years ago now um that were rather hard and i didn't know how to process them at the time Mm -hmm. um i didn't really want to go and get help um from a therapist because i was scared of that and scared of you know scared of being vulnerable in that capacity Mm -hmm. um so that definitely has been sort of a reoccurring thing. We all have, like, every human on the planet, <laughs> even off the planet, uh, has mental health stuff that they need help with or sometimes, and sometimes you have to go to, like, get help from therapy and so on. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely something that then and now... um has been extremely beneficial and um like not only musically but just in life because frankly if you're broken like you're not gonna be able to play well Mm -hmm. and to some extent being broken enough physically to not be able to play and that forcing me to look at mental health stuff and looking at it from that lens of like okay I'll be able to put myself back together and eventually play or something like that was the thing to get me to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, you know, some people might look at that and go, well, that's not a, a genuine feeling or like a feeling of like um, I've definitely come across people before who would say something along the lines of, well, there should be nothing wrong or whatever they're just kind of yeah on it i could go on and on about ways i've heard it being sort of ignored or shrugged on, under the rug um
0: because so many people say that though it's so easy for us to say that to ourselves
1: yeah exactly i definitely remember getting a lot of weird glances when i would say i've had a wrist injury for a long time and couldn't play a certain amount when i was at humber um And that definitely affected me. And I was sort of looking at myself going like, what am I doing here? Do I have any worth in this? There's definitely times where people would make jokes that were, you know, like they're fine, they're light jokes, but I was uh, reacting to them way more and way more upset because I was in a place that like I was putting so much value on those things, Mm -hmm. um, on myself as a person. Yeah mental health is definitely something that I find is really really tough in music um, Mm -hmm. and in like that as a career as a way of life as anything because it's complicated when you put all your all of your eggs into one basket as it were of like to me music has meant so much to me emotionally and in like my emotional health and then um both in ways of like um being able to get something off my chest or vent or express a feeling that I didn't know how to but also into showing me that I could do something and sort of gaining confidence and like gaining a skill but yet yeah, it means so much to me in those terms but to have that also can it's, be taken
0: away
1: Yeah, it can be taken away but it's also very complicated when you add other elements into it of it's then it's a business then it's uh, um, there's ways that you connect with friends through that thing and all the lines get really blurry um, yeah. for all sorts of things so it's definitely something that's very complicated um, I've definitely learned lately boundaries and stuff on all ends of those things on, with friends with, um, with others that you care about with like people that you work with with people that are a bit of everything. (laughs) Like there's people that I work with who I'm like, yeah, I consider this person, family, a friend, a coworker, everything. Um, and it's hard to, um, it's hard to figure that out. Like I said, I've known Mason for like, (laughs) since like 2001. Um, and we worked in big bands, uh, his big band and everything. Um, he had a big band that I worked in for a long time, um, that I sort of was, Finishing up, I had to sort of unofficially leave, I guess, because of wrist injuries. Mm -hmm. Um, And then COVID happened. Um, uh, I'm glad I got to play with one kind of version of that, smaller version of that ensemble, uh, what like the month before COVID happened for like 20 minutes. Um, I'm so glad that like I got that last chance to do that. Um, Because, you know, in some ways, there's still. Stuff I felt like was unfinished or I felt was like this is what I was expecting or wanting or hoping my experience to be in in music school or jazz school and some of those things didn't work out that way definitely I overthink often or have in the past and I can overthink any topic in ways that make sense in ways that don't make sense Um, so like you know Everybody can overthink and underthink anything. Yeah. It's all what your decision is and what you decide to do with it at the end of the day.
0: Mm -hmm. I had a similar experience as you during my undergrad where, like, there are some, like, looking back, I'm just like, I don't know how I, I don't know how I finished the year. Like, I don't know how Mm -hmm. I, like, navigated through certain experiences. Yeah. And it was, like, I, I look back and I think, like, if I had... If I'd stepped back from some things, or if I'd put in those boundaries, I would have been a lot happier. Yeah, We've gotten a lot more sleep. Mm-hmm.
1: What what I find often is that in um, in music school, what we're prioritizing in a lot of ways, because that's what school systems prioritize in things, is the business side
0: mm-hmm. of
1: things. Um, uh, so the um, And in that sense, people want to know how to get as good as they can, as fast as they can, so that they can get the best gigs Mm -hmm. and whatever, all of that type of stuff, which is fair to an extent of, like, you want to do work that inspires you or something. But at the same time, time timelines don't always align the way you think they will. Mm. There's a... I was telling my friend there a quote from a John Riley book who's a drummer with the uh, Vanguard Jazz Orchestra who's comparing two people in post-bop jazz, um, Tony Williams and Elvin Jones, saying that, you know, Tony Williams started playing with Miles Davis so he hit the peak of the jazz world um, as it were in when he was like 17 or 18 or something. And the same years, like the same time period and era um, there's the other big drummer Elvin Jones who played with John Coltrane who never was on a recording or something until he was 30 um that's just sort of you know it takes it takes time to to get up to that skill level and not just time because there's certain things that time can't do yeah. um like time and persistent effort but you also have to know that your effort is going into the right things mm. Which is hard when nobody like
0: no one knows. <laughs>
1: nobody well, nobody knows, but people definitely know more and more. Um, mm-hmm. people learn things more and more. I'm glad there's people out there like um I can't remember the, the name of the website, Bulletproof no, yeah. Bulletproof musician. Um, who's like sports psychologist for musicians. Mm. Um, Like that stuff, some of the articles that he has there about just effective practicing and then also just having, yeah, having a a state of mind that's a little bit happier in those Mm -hmm. terms. Maybe he's still looking at it from a perspective of like uh, getting better faster and all of those things um, from the business side. But at the end of the day, when you have those boundaries, it's better for you mental health wise and not only is that shown uh, like not only can people just tell you that but through stuff like Bulletproof Musician and things like people scientifically can say Mm -hmm. that yeah you improve faster when you only practice like this amount of time in the day rather than kind of beating your head against a wall for 8 hours in the day trying to fix one tiny thing Um, there's ways for effective practice Mm -hmm. so yeah can't recommend that one enough there's a drummer Benny Greb who has a great book on practice uh, that was out recently and then um, for people who are in Toronto with health issues uh, and things there's a place called Artist Health Centre that's part of Western Hospital Mm. Um, they also give bursaries for people who are in arts workers or arts education so If you're, like, I have a broken arm and, like, want to get better, but I don't know where to go, um, they're... I can't speak for them, but they're a great option just because they, yeah, they work with artists and they give bursaries, and, yeah, they have everything there.
0: Awesome. And um, from my last two questions, we like we touched upon this in so many ways but like if you could mm-hmm. give your yourself a piece of advice or a resource like sort of when you were starting out what would mm. you what would you get oh
1: yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's
0: like i'd give a carbon copy of my current self yeah <laughs> yeah
1: it's well then again it's hard because i also realized lately um with uh, some family emergency that mm-hmm. situation and stuff you you can only do so much for someone yeah so even if i gave myself this advice i don't know if i'd listen to to it
0: sometimes you need to just go through the thing in order to actually yeah
1: to do what
0: you need to do
1: yeah it's it's sometimes sometimes that happens and at the end of the day you'll be alright um I wish that I could just give myself that feeling that at the end of the day it would be all right. Um no matter what I was working on uh how good it went, how bad it went, um uh for performance wise Money-wise, outside of music, inside of music, everything. Just the feeling that it'll be fine.
0: I love that. Nice, good advice. Okay. <laughs> and last question is: Do you have a music recommendation? Ooh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, music recommendation. Okay, this is this is weird. <laughs> I could give. I could give a normal answer, but that's not a me thing to do. (laughs) Um, so, uh, my music recommendation is just reflect personally on how you listen to music and how you like to and prefer to, or don't like to listen to music. Um, to give a long answer on that, um, (laughs) uh, in in jazz school they would always say uh oh you have to go listen to this one you have to go listen to it a hundred times and really know the music um and at some point it occurred to me just why (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's if if you you know there's reasons there's reasons to do that and that would be I'm really trying to sound like this musician, and I really love this music and I want to sound like it, so I'm gonna go listen to it a bunch. Or even even to the extent of, man, I really hate this music. I don't know why. I'm gonna to listen to it and try and find out <laughs> why I hate it. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. so they always uh, there's people who always say, it's like, you know, you should listen to music this much and that much and that much. But I even remember briefly an article in Modern Drummer Magazine when I was younger saying something about just think about how it works for you. Um, If that's only listening to music in the genre you create in, that's great. If it's only listening to stuff outside of the genre (laughs) you create, cool, that's fine. Um, Whatever it is, like if you only listen five minutes a day, if you listen five hours a day, like at the end of the day it's fine um and just you know think about how you listen and when you listen for your goals Mm. that you have um whether it's to be a better mixing engineer or uh to get over a certain emotion or anything just realize that that's sort of the reason that i'm listening um I went through a phase where for like a couple of years where I was like oh yeah I just want to have a better understanding of this type of music so I made a document like a pages document on my computer and listed every single thing that I I would take out CDs from the library at U of T, was, I was the only person doing that <laughs> and I would take out like 10 a week and then put them on this list and only cross them off when I could listen, when I listen to them five times. Um, and that taught me a lot of things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One, it's like, it teaches me, yeah, I could listen to something once, hate it, listen to it the fourth time and go, Oh, now I see parts of it that I like, or I could realize, man, emotionally, I shouldn't have let myself listen to this four times because I'm not really a fan of it. Or, I could listen to something five times and go, man, I want to listen to this five more times. I could just listen to this. Or ear fatigue and so on. Mm-hmm. I could talk endlessly about this topic, frankly. But, you know, when it comes to listening, listen to what you want to. Um, and eat your vegetables and listen what you need to uh, to meet whatever goals musically. Like if you're wanting to understand something more, or a certain style of playing more certain genre whatever it is have a have a good mix of both as you see fit
0: sweet yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so i add the music recommendations to a playlist and i'm like okay oh no (laughs) (laughs) no but i think this is a really cool answer
1: cool yeah yeah so it, in it, that case it need uh, not
0: be on the playlist but
1: it need not be on the playlist but to throw one in there I've been listening to musician most recent album from this year I think his name is Hayden I think he just goes by that um, who's Toronto musician from like the 90s didn't I had no idea who he was he has feist on a song on his recent album it's just really cool sweet
0: yeah yeah I like your previous answer. <laughs> that's that's
1: fair. You know what? Never mind. Scratch scratch yeah. what I said as well. Uh, go buy local music on Bandcamp. Mm. Listen to a band named Burrs. That's...
0: B-U-R-S. Yeah. S. So only one R. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yes. Um, I know the drummer in the band, and yeah, there are album the one album they have out uh yeah very it, great i love it on many for many many reasons yeah
0: awesome yeah. thank you for being on the podcast yeah
1: for sure of yeah, course. this is really fun yeah thanks for having me
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Bedroom Studios Podcast. Don't forget to add this podcast to your playlists and to like and follow for more episodes. And you can follow us at Bedroom Studios Podcast on Instagram, YouTube, and Spotify. I will also be linking Chris's social media in the description. You should definitely check out his music and you can support him by streaming or purchasing his album on Bandcamp. And lastly, don't forget to follow our playlist of guest music recommendations. It is a really diverse mix of styles and genres, and it's updated every time a new episode of the podcast is released. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Bedroom Studios podcast. I'll see you in the next episode.